What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Guys, welcome to Knife Talk. This is a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, DIYers. Whatever you got, we're the number one knife-related podcast on this German-infested planet, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. Entertaining, interesting, tips, knife making, knife enthusiasts. We got it all. I'm Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. I'm here with Craig Lock. I'm not here with Craig Lockwood or Chopped <laughs> Knives. I'm here with Mareko Mamasi of Mamasi Fire Arts. Craig is not with us. Yeah, he's over in the war zone of France. So, a little just to give you a little bit of backup, we were going to have an episode with, with Craig, and he sent us this. Would you say that's a crazy video that he sent us? Yeah, it was kind of a crazy scene. <laughs> so like, there's, I, so I picked up an, uh, I picked up there's a there's a giant protest going on in France. P- Craig is from Wales. He lives in France, and we podcast. I'm in New York. Morocco's in the Pacific Northwest, and Craig's in France. Well, there's a huge protest going on in France, and he said he sent us a message. And let's, let's I'll just going to read you the exact message, which is so far it's crazy, right? To begin, with. he goes, he says, "Hey, um, I'm struggling with internet as farmers are blocking roads and cutting telephone cables." With this bloody protest, any chance of podcasting this weekend? So we told him to give him the week off. So he sent us this video where these people are driving down the road and there are tires on fire and it, it's like at a Blade Runner. That's what he said. He says like living at a Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's dark. Go ahead. It's kind of dark. Yeah, super dark, and I was just like, just take it easy, relax, don't worry about it. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out, he had mentioned it before, so I decided to read an article in regards to what's going on. So French farmers, this is from the AP, uh, Roy, this is from Reuters, uh, AP News. Uh, French, French farmers edge closer to Paris as protests ratchet up under pressure on President Macron. Uh, snowballing protests by French farmers crept closer to Paris on Thursday with tractors driving in convoys and blocking roads in many regions of the country uh, to ratchet up pressure for government measures to protect the influential agricultural s- culture sector from foreign competition, red tape, rising costs, and poverty level uh, of poverty levels of pay of the worst off our producers. So they're driving their trucks and their tractors and they're blocking traffic. Uh, I found this one part. Um, so Macron, who's the whatever the fuck he is, the president of Paris, the president or <laughs> foreign minister, I think president. Like. President, he'll become president. Macron's opponent are seizing uh, the farmers' demonstration to bash the government record. Um, the worst enemies, of, and they're saying the worst enemies of farmers would be found in the government. So this is basically government stuff. So what I found was crazy. Was highway operators are reporting blockages on fourteen uh, of the motor- motorways that are operates heading towards Paris, as well as disruptions, attention-grabbing protests. Elsewhere included a supermarket being showered with a thick jet of pig slurry. Ugh. So they're oh shooting God. like fucking pig shit. <laughs> That's not pig slurry. It ain't you know, it ain't like <laughs> bath water. 
So they're fucking pissed. And uh, I guess the, basically the bottom line is, uh, uh, from what I understand, uh, they're basically saying that these, these farmers are, you know, there's, there's food coming from other countries and they're, they're being asked a lot and they're not getting enough money and they're throwing themselves around. So Craig's in the midst of it. He's in the pig slurry, I think. Ugh. So that's you got us. So that's yeah. what that was. That there's a little bit of news. Craig's in the Craig's in the in the depths of French uh, farm and farmers. What you call it? And you got me and Morocco here. Morocco, how the hell are you? I'll tell you, poop stuff grosses me the fuck out all oh, day, dude. every day. It's so it, fucking nasty. Yes, that's to be. Can I just say t- say? Everyone seconds that. I don't think. I don't uh, think. I don't know. There's. A, I think there's some people out there. That's okay. Thing. Okay. I think for the most part, yes. <laughs> I think we're all in agreement. Based off of last episode, there was a lot of there was a lot of fluid talk. <laughs> we're in agreement. Poop yes. talk is nauseous making. So let's keep it. Let's just make sure the crowd. Listen. We'll, we'll get. We'll get all the stories next week. Yeah. All right. Well, to flip it on there on the head, uh, I want to. I think both of us, you and I, Jeff, want to give our buddy J Mod some mad props for getting featured in Thrasher magazine, not only for his skating but for his knife making. J Mod uh, knives. Yeah. In yeah. Thrasher magazine, the number so one cool. skateboard magazine in the United States. Congratulations to our boy. I used to buy that magazine, or actually, I yeah. <laughs> could never afford it when I was growing up. I would go to the library and borrow it from the library, but it was borrow a great, uh, yeah, borrow it from the library, and um, and I would draw the skaters. Uh, there was so, I, I would, I think it was in like middle school, I learned about foreshortening, and so many okay. of the shots are like skaters, they're like grinding down uh, a rail or across the box or something like that towards the photographer, so there's all this crazy foreshortening happening in the image, and uh, and so I would practice that uh practice drawing foreshortening using <laughs> images from thrash magazine so i have a lot of fun memories of checking that yeah, shit out skateboarding photographs are usually foreshortening it's the skateboarding at closest to the camera and then the body's going out yeah for sure that's awesome yeah. well congratulations to jmod knives and you know how else we have to congratulate our friend Joyce Cuddy. Joyce Cuddy oh, yeah. got the Maritime Knife Supply yeah. sc- Scholarship, and she heard it here on the podcast and applied for it. Maritime Knife Supply Scholarship. She's going to the uh, New England School of Metalwork through this scholarship, and uh, she's going to be taking a class with Lynn Ray. So congratulations to our friend Joyce, and uh, Cuddy Knives, your rule. Yeah, Look at that. Deservedly so, too. So she is doing some fucking great stuff. Her work is... I really like her work a lot. A lot. She's and a she's cool person too. One to watch for, for you know, the coming years because she's doing. She's a cool really person. She plays she's the violin. Creative. She's a lot yeah. of fun. She tells a couple jokes. I'm with Dom with Joyce. Joyce a badass. So congratulations to Joyce. Well, and we're, while we're on the train, let's give yeah. a shout out to Steve Schwarzer too. He's doing a beer collaboration with uh, Gabe Fletcher of Anchorage Forge, also Anchorage Brewing Company. Uh, they got that. a beer right now. They're doing a pre-sale over at Tavor on the Tavor app. It's kind of tricky to find the thing, the beer, but just try all the different stuff. Try links through Anchorage Brewing or Steve's page or through uh, on Tavor app. Look up steve's name or um i think just schwarzer not steve schwarzer just schwarzer i think this is what the beer is called uh and you should be able to find it and so but mad props to them it's cool steve's a great guy gabe is a great guy i'm excited for the collaboration and uh, it's the fucking artwork i love the artwork uh i believe it's uh the artwork or the ar- artist's name is massive face 
uh, on Instagram. They do this a lot of skeletal stuff. Yeah. Skeletons with clothes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like zombies. That's, that's the it's key. Cool. The key it's is so the, the skeleton's got to be dressed. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants a naked skeleton. Nobody. Beard, clothes, <laughs> skeleton. I'm with you. Listen, Power I got hammer. you. Whatever it takes. Listen, whatever it takes, ladies and germs. Uh, um, okay. So, I, do you mind if I jump into my week? Knock it out. All right. Yeah, we'll just get through it. I'll try to get through it pretty quick. Take your time. Um, what do you okay. get? What do you? We gotta have. We gotta fill in for Craig. We gotta burn some time. Don't oh, worry right, about right. it. Take your time. Uh, well, I got. Let's see. I, I last week I got that knife finished, uh, and this week I I got it sold, um, and it was a tricky one. It's interesting, um, and it's a thing I never have come up against before. Um, but I was actually there was a little. Uh, difficulty with traction for that particular piece and i think part of it is because um my, what do you my, mean traction just like interest traction hmm. uh for, uh, for and I, I found a great person uh, the right person for it they've been following my work they already have some of my work so they've kind of been following the evolution of how i've developed my knife style and techniques and whatever the the aesthetics and whatnot and but I've never thought about the fact that they're, the people that I have on my email list are looking not necessarily for new experimental stuff. They want a Mal, what they would consider, quote-unquote, a Malmasi Fire Arts knife. Right. And because that new knife looks kind of not – it's not crazy different, but it's definitely different. I think part that, that kind of like held people back from being interested in buying it. And I've never taken that into consideration um, that there's kind of like – they want a piece that looks like what a what they in their head they perceive a Malmasi Fire Arts knife to look like. But like I said, I got a I got a buyer, great dude, super. Uh, he's a great supporter of custom knife makers. He's got work from several makers actually, and uh, he's actually a New York guy. So it's I'm I'm excited to get that out the door and to him soon. Um, otherwise, I just. I offer sharpening service here in town, so I've just last this last week have been doing some sharpening stuff. I've been actually working on some stuff for Steve Schwarzer. He's got a class coming up he's doing, and he asked me to do some artwork for um, drawing out the steps, the processes nice. for a particular pattern he uh, he made. And um, and then, yeah, I'm just kind of doing some Damascus stuff, some design stuff, getting another knife ready to go. I got a – it's an integral guard slicer of sorts. Whoa. It's interesting. It's a again. It's it's kind of an experimental piece, um, but it's gonna be good. I think it's gonna be a cool one. And then after that, it's gonna be basic stuff. But or not basic, but you know my my run of the mill, my bread and butter kind of look. Listen, chef's knife. I wanted to take something. When, I wanted to t- reminded remind what you said reminded me of uh, when you said uh, the experimental stuff. Mm-hmm. Years ago, we went to see. Years ago, and we're talking. Before, I think around right before my daughter was born. Okay. We went to go as many concerts as possible. We just saw everybody. We saw Prince. We saw the Stones. We saw David Bowie. We saw right. Steely Dan. And we went to see Neil Young. And I okay. remember going to see Neil Young. We were thinking it was going to be like, you know, Harvest Moon. Right. The That's classics, right? Yeah. He played all this experimental stuff. And everyone's like <laughs> scratching their heads. I got you. And then all yeah. of a sudden, there's this silence. And someone says, hey, Neil, how about one for us? <laughs> because because it was so like everyone wanted like you know cinnamon girl and you know like the classics the weekend and there's something the to be 
And there's something to be said about that, 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 yeah. that people are like looking for that thing. So yeah, don't, no, it's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to you unless people want like the, what you're known for sometimes. Yeah, no. And that if I, I don't think I was surprised by it. I, I think I was more, it was just a, something I hadn't taken into consideration right. ever right. before. Right. And so that's, it's good to have that kind of, uh, I guess, information. Huge. Um, so that I can balance out instead of just like railing a bunch of experimental stuff right. and bounce back and forth, some of it, um, the, which is really I, the, what I should be doing anyways for my own mental well-being. Because it doesn't work. I mean, I do experimental stuff, and sometimes it doesn't work at all. Exactly. It doesn't it doesn't re- doesn't register at all to people at all. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you know, it's it, but it's good. It, like you said, it's good to know. It's good to be like, huh, this is something. What's interesting is, is I was thinking about actually thinking about in terms of what you're saying in regards to seeing something realizing something and then kind of doing something about it you know a lot of times we're in this position of um actually actually it dovetails perfectly in what i was talking what i was going to talk about okay was the idea of you know at what point do we see something and recognize it and you're creating experience like i I was i had a brian house on the show we were talking about experience and he thought it was like you're older and you're more experienced that's not really what experience is Experiences is when you ha- you do something, and then you realize that this is what happens when you do that thing, and then you kind of adjust based on that, right? So, like, I was, um, like, why does a knife helicopter when you drill it, when you're holding it in your hand? You know, that's like, you know, how do you figure out, okay, I know that when I drill this knife, there's a very good chance that it's going to helicopter in my hand and then, you know, cut me up, cut me up or something. Mm-hmm. And... It, that's the interesting thing is a lot of people don't like see what happens like what you said that people you thought that people weren't really you know getting traction with your, your experimental stuff and then you're taking yeah. the account for that and then you're addressing it later yeah yeah i'm incorporating it into it's, into my my process now that's so experience I, I got new information now i'm adapting that into how i operate so. that's experience i mean that's that's the 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 idea of what experience is. And what's interesting is, is especially in this community, there are so many people who don't recognize these moments and then just kind of try to address them. Like here's a good, uh, the the, the helicopter thing. Why does a knife helicopter when you drill it in your hand on a drill press? Give me some, give me some (laughs) reasons why that would happen. Uh, You catch a burr on the backside of the hole. Okay. What yeah. else? Just and let's just let's spit out different reasons why it would happen. You're not a dull drill bit, wrong speed, wrong feed, um, not holding it secure enough, um, using a shitty machine or not drilling directly straight down. Um, maybe for some reason, like your table is at, at a weird angle, just even the slightest. Um, I don't know. That's what I got. So uh, for me, because I've done a lot of drilling in metal shops and stuff like that, okay. a lot of times it catches if number one, the drill is bigger than the material that you're that you're drilling through. That happens all the time. So if the drill bit is wider, bigger in diameter than the than the thickness of the material, there's a very good chance that you're going to catch. You're going to catch a sharp drill bit can catch. Like if the edges are sharp, maybe they just like grind it a certain way, cut in mm-hmm. a certain way, and then they catch and they get you at the end. Mm-hmm. There's also when you're holding it tight to the drill bit and you don't have a lot of leverage, then it, you don't have a good grip, and then it, that spins it out of your hand. Like if you had like sure. a little size of a quarter, you can't hold a quarter between your fingers and drill it because you have no grip. <laughs> so you know what? You, yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. So if you have a long lever, 
like let's say you have a long chef knife or uh, even mm. a nine inch chef knife and you're drilling the, t- the the holes for the for the chef knife you have more of a leverage because you're not as close to the drill They're, these are all these are all things of i know why you're going to helicopter and i know how to prevent it like actually we've lately sometimes what we'll do is i'll have a pair of uh, channel uh, channel tongs and then i'll put them by the drill press and you can hold a small paring knife mm-hmm. that's unheat treated with the tongs and then you're out far and you have a ton of leverage and anything unless as, as long as the knife is in the in the tongs it's not going to helicopter like the drill is going to cut through before it because they have all this long leverage basically sure. these are all the some of the reasons why your hand you can be helicoptering or just you didn't you didn't clamp it down we got to use we got to we got to figure out how to use yeah. these things to, to cut down the odds. It, yeah. It's the law of averages that something bad is going to happen. And you can use your experience to kind of move forward without, you know, doing this, you know, hitting your head against the wall every five minutes because you're just doing the same thing over and over again. I, I got so, a couple more reasons why. Go ahead. Uh, if <laughs> it, say you're drilling the steel on a piece of wood, that's maybe kind of soft and, and it's thin, you might be causing the steel to bow as you're drill you're like putting a hundred percent you're pushing it and you're not you're not cutting it and then which also yeah uh and then also maybe biting off more than a drill bit wants to chew so i like once i get beyond three-eighths of an inch i like to to take 16th of an inch steps i don't just go from like three-eighths of an inch up to half an inch though i think yeah anyways um that would be a 16 mean three sixteenths to half an inch and so um, or even quarter, whatever. Anyways, yeah. you want some steps in between. If you're going straight, straight from an eighth inch hole to a three inch, three eighths of an inch hole, you you're probably gonna experience some chattering and some sketchiness or catching a weird burr. Because again, that big burr on the bottom side of the hole is what's gonna catch most often and rip the material out of your hand. And it's and it's gonna get a big burr if you're biting off a, if you're got too large of a step between the. Uh, the current bit and the previous bit. And then there's the fact that if you're just kind of pushing a dull bit, the oh, dull yeah. bit gets hot, and then as it gets hot, the friction makes the steel work harden, and then you basically yep. do a minor, a tiny little heat treatment where that area is, and you're going to ruin every bit. There's all these things that you learn through experience, and then you can apply mm-hmm. them. So this yesterday, actually, I've been, I've been trying to figure out ways in which to cut down labor in regards to, and offer different, price points and stuff like that. And one of the big things of, in terms of labor that a lot of knife makers know, know is hand sanding. Hand sanding is can be from, could be half an hour, could be 45 minutes, could be an hour and a half. I've heard yeah. people say six hours to fucking hand sand a knife. These are, this is the one labor that is crucial to you figuring out the pricing of your knife and how much volume you can do and you can gauge how many knives you can hand sand a day. Mm. So for a long time, I've been trying to figure stuff out. So recently, the last six months or eight months, I've been talking with Matt Gentry, who's just a dynamite, he's a dynamite knife, a good guy. And he's been helping me with the whole uh, acid wash finish, stone wash finish. And I got a great, it's great, it's great. And the reason why it's great is my biggest problem with a belt finish is I don't think I do as nice of a job. And if it's in a certain light, because the lines are going from the spine of the knife to the tip of the knife, to the spine of the knife, mm. to the cutting edge, you have yeah. those lines that when the light shines on it, it kind of stunts your eye when you're following the, the direction of the knife. 
Yeah. But when, but and that, and then if you do a satin finish, a lot of times those lines going from the the heel of the knife to the tip will help guide your eyes. You know, it'll help. Like it'll, it, it doesn't stop your eyes. It it lets your eyes flow through the whole thing, and it's just like the visual thing. Okay. So, a lot of that's lighting. So if you could figure out a way, you know, your your dark parts of the gro- are the grooves, the shiny parts of the peaks. If you could figure out a way to kind of make it more matte, all of a sudden you're not going to get that stopping and starting and stuff like that. And that's what Stonewash finish does. Stonewash finishes creates this matte finish. It's a beautiful. It's a perfectly good finish, but in the light it just looks matte. And there's something about that that I really like, and it cuts down time and stuff. So yeah. we've been doing a lot of Stonewash finish on small knives, but the hard part is on a long chef knife. I can't fit the goddamn knife in the tumbler, and when I do, the way these tumblers are, they're round. And, or they're like a like a like a pumpkin almost, and yeah. there's a pillar in the middle, and then the top of the pillar has got a thread, and then you can put the top on, and then you thread it down. Now that's great, and it allows you to kind of keep it closed and stuff like that. But with a long chef knife, what happens is it, the rocks end up wanting to push it up, and then it ends mm. up staying on the on the on the pillar. The reason why a lot of these tumblers aren't square. Or they're not like they don't have flat bottoms is because you don't want like the rotation to make something end up on the bottom and then one side gets the stones and the other gets nothing. Yeah. So yeah. a chef knife goes up against that pillar, especially if it's wedged in there, you'll get rubbing right in one spot and it looks like shit. Mm. All right. So the, I tried to make a, one of these tumblers. A lot of these guys have been getting PVC pipe, oh, sure. and then they'll get That's some nice. wheels and then they'll use their their broad back or their grinder and they'll try to spin it. I made one of them. Okay. The problem was, was that, that the, that because it was, it was using three inch pipe, even on the slowest setting, because it was such a small tube, it was spinning too fast. And then the rocks weren't tumbling. It was like a dryer cycle on your, you know, everything was like centrifugal force. All the stones weren't doing, going anywhere. Meanwhile, (laughs) figured something out. So I'm preparing the knives for belt finish. Okay. And, and then I'm going to throw in the acid, then I'm going to throw in the stones. So I was going down the grits. I was doing 36 and then 80. And, da, 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 and then I started going with the uh, Scotch-Brite belt. Okay. I'm going through the Scotch-Brite belt, and I was using an old Scotch-Brite belt, and I wasn't pushing hard, and it wasn't a big deal. And all oh. of a sudden, out of nowhere, and yeah. I, do it, I always use the Scotch-Brite belt. I have it edged down. I think okay. I learned that from you, but it also makes a lot of sense because you don't want to pull a lot of that edge off with the Scotch Bright belt. Yeah. All of a sudden, I get fucking hit. the 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 Scotch Bright ripped, not where the seam is. The Scotch Bright belt broke, and it smashed me in the face. It came down and it smashed me in the face. It hit the top of my my forehead and then went down into mm. towards my nose. And it knocked the the safety glasses off my head. I'm so fucking glad I had those safety glasses on. Yeah. Because my nose is all abraded. My my forehead slightly abraded. So that tail just whipped down and then just like raked over my face. If I didn't have those those safety glasses on, there's no question I would have had eye damage. No question. And all I could think of was the guys who get mad on this podcast when we talk about safety. <laughs> and I started to get mad. Okay. Because I'm very like, 
you know, I don't wear a face shield because I got reading glasses and I can't really see through. It's too much glare and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I try to go as I, I, I on a I try to do everything I can to be as safe as possible because I'm trying to beat the law of averages that something bad happens. Like mm-hmm. I know there's a very good chance someone can hit my hit me in the face. And I was like, I did this public service address yesterday, and I just basically said, you know, you can either wear your safety glasses or you can prepare yourself to do one of your Fakakta GoFundMe's because you're, <laughs> you know, you all of a sudden you can't be in the shop for you know a couple of weeks because you get your you know something wrong with your face. Last and year I thought it was cronia. I whatever. I thought it was very interesting, and I thought it was. I was grateful. I was grateful that it has been you know beaten into me for 30 years to wear sunglasses or or to wear safety glasses yeah and i just thought it was interesting i mean it's a good move i mean yeah i i can't remember who i was talking to maybe i was just talking to my wife um and, and kind of reflect i think it was after maker camp and reflecting on maker camp and and i think i was just kind of making fun of myself uh, at first, because I, when I'm there, I have like my apron and I have my hearing protection and my like my ISO tunes and I have my eye protection or face shield. I have my respirator on. Yeah. And, you know, y- y- there are f- fucking guys out there doing all kinds of shit. With nothing. <laughs> With nothing on. <laughs> Just nothing. Like, Jesus. Like it's, I don't, it's like some weird flex and it's like. It doesn't make you tougher, especially if you get a... It could take the tiniest little chunk of steel flying into your eye for you to go blind. At the wrong heat, the wrong speed, it being sharp, and you're blind in one fucking eye. Cool. Good job. The the crazy part is, I mean, when we get... We don't... You know, we'll talk about... I mean, Craig talked about the fucking pussy candy we got last week. We talk about... All sorts of horrible things, but no one will ever get madder than when we say, oh, you're talking about safety or, you know, you're, you're nanny stating everybody. It's just like the problem is the, the problem is, is this concept of influencing and you're not influenced by what you hear. You're influenced by what you see. And when you see guys who are very well known standing in front of the grinder, not wearing glasses or standing in front of their whatever, not wearing glasses. It's not like they're saying, don't wear glasses. It's just like, oh, well, he didn't wear glasses. And it's very unconscious. And I was fucking grateful that I had fucking safety glasses on. I didn't expect it to happen. That's the first time something like that's happened in probably seven or eight years. I can remember the last time that happened. It was because I was trying to scotch bright an oyster knife back when I was in my shed. And I I had it tip facing up. And I fucking grabbed the grabbed the Scotch Bright wheel and it sent it to the ground and it fucking exploded and slapped me in the head a couple of times. But it yeah. was it was one of those things where it was like the law of averages and you know knowing that something like this can happen, it's better safe than sorry. Well, and if like, the thing is, it can happen literally at any time. I had you, no you cannot predict it, and it's just not worth it to not have your shit on for that one it's, time. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, you know, obviously I'm just saying, I'm saying it was, what was crazy. That was the crazy part. And I was like, I was, it was stunning. And you know, you know, when something bad happens to you, you get like, the first thing you do is you're you're closing your eyes and then you're, you kind of ball up your hands. And it's almost as if you're trying to see if all your fingers and toes are there. Cause at this point, (laughs) as soon as it comes down, I don't know what I did with the knife. I don't know if it was shot out of my hand. I don't know if I dropped it. I don't know where it went. 
So your first thing you're thinking of is, do I have all my fingers and toes? And then you're putting your hands on your face and feeling, am I wet from blood? And luckily, there's just like an abrasion on my head and then my nose. Well, my nose looks stupid, right? It's kind of fucking, <laughs> looks like I fucking did the Eskimo kiss with a fucking 36 grit is what it looks like. A blacksmith, bladesmith, spa day. Yeah, I don't think that's what it's referred Dermo to abrasion. I don't know that <laughs> kind of that. You know what yeah, Hillary, Hillary said it's like a Biore strip. I'm like, oh, thanks, <laughs> great. So, um... So got finished that, and then so what I when I got to the stone washing, I, like I said, I, I built the. Oh, I'm going to transition back into stone washing because some of you guys don't like what I when I talk about this stuff. I, I made the 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 PVC pipe caps capped it all up, put it on. I couldn't get it to roll, and then I was at home. And I was talking to my wife, and I thought, what if I just? And it wasn't working right. It wasn't working right because it was like it was going too slow, and I, I need a bigger. You need like a bigger tube so it spins on the slower side and it kind of tumbles not so what i did was i i built uh i built something so i could bolt the whole tube to the existing tumbler and it worked and it worked and i did it this morning and all of a sudden because i'm trying what i'm trying to do is trying to figure out ways in which i can do volume that's my biggest issue Mm -hmm. is i don't want to have to do one I want to do one at a time. I want to do... So I bolted the knives together so they're facing in the wrong, in the opposite direction. And then I made this long tube, stuck it in with the thing, and turned it on, and it worked. So Shit. there you go. Nice. Listen, guys, this fucking tip, this tip was sponsored by Evenheat, <laughs> manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To get your next heat treat oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Check out what they got. This is dynamite, and uh, I, I use my even heats uh, already. Uh, I'm going to be using some. I have, have you? Do you know anything about what is Hitachi White? I'm getting some Hitachi White sent to me. Have you ever used Hitachi White? Uh, no. Yeah, well, me neither. So <laughs> me neither. So it'll be new to both of us. I got my boys at New Jersey Steel Baron are sending me some Hitachi White. Okay. So I'm going to use my even heat for that. So. Craig isn't here, unfortunately. He's dealing with pig swill and pig flow or what? Pig flow? No, pig. I don't know. We could do questions. We could do whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Before we get into questions, can I really quick just mention to everybody that I'm going to be the Travis Wirtz hammering? Yes. Uh, do yeah, it. Yeah. So that's going to be St. Patrick's Day weekend in Casa Grande, Arizona. You can fly into either Phoenix or Tucson. It's about an, I, uh, an hour to Casa Grande from either. And uh, it's a great hammering. Uh, I did it a couple of years ago, and they're some of the best makers in the country in the United States are going to be there demonstrating and sharing some of their best skills and tips and tricks. Uh, and if you haven't been to a hammer, and one of the, I think for me, and Jeff, you've experienced this uh, at maker events, but also at like Blade Show, um, is that at these events, you get to meet these people that you have been following online or something like that for a while. Um, and meeting people in person creates uh, a better opportunity to develop uh, at least like kind of a quote unquote, like working acquaintanceship or relationship so that maybe somewhere down the line, you might be able, especially for newer makers, but even like, even for me as an experienced maker to connect with these people and, and have that foundation to work from. If somewhere down the line, I have a question that this exact person can answer. Um, then I feel a lot more comfortable reaching out to them and, it, it, because I'm coming at it from more of a friendly way rather than, um, right. Yeah. Rather than just fucking cold messaging them stranger. How do you do nowhere. this? How do you yeah, do this? How do you do that? You know, you should tell me because you owe it to me. 
<laughs> Bro, I've been lately. I've been getting. I've been getting. Um, where did you get that? You know, like I, I'll post like uh, my. I'll post some guy. I wanted it. my some guy. Just I was posting one of my shop knives, and I have these special clips that I get. But I like them. They look great. They feel great. They look great. The guy just writes, "Where'd you get those clips?" I was like, "Huh? <laughs> what are you? T I'm not. I'm not responding." <laughs> No response. Where'd you get that? It's like fuck you. Go you do your own fucking research. Jesus Christ. Go ahead. So, so Ryan, uh, Mike Quisenberry is usually there at that, yeah. that hammer. In. Yeah, Mike's gonna be there. I'm excited to see him. Uh, Vince Evans, who's one of the top uh, sword makers in the country, if not in the world. Um, I think uh, Ken Onion's supposed to be there. Uh, Devin Thomas, old school Damascus guy, is gonna be there talking Damascus. Owen Wood. He's also a very talented uh, folding knife maker and Damascus maker. Uh, I, th I believe Ben Snoor is supposed to be there. I sure hope so because I'm really excited at the prospect of meeting and hanging he's, out with him. He's been there before. He's been. He was there last year. That's for sure. Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully he's there. One person I'm excited to see is my buddy Rich Greenwood, who is the owner and operator of the Desert Metalcraft School down in Tucson, where I'm actually going to be right after the Travis Schwartz hammering. I'm going straight to Tucson to go teach a two-day seminar uh, at his school, at the Desert Metalcraft School. Um, you know, I'm already there. Might as well make it, make it work. Might as well. Yeah. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to do uh, a class there talking about Damascus theory and how material moves and really helping people to understand uh, how to, how well, one, how material moves, but then how to reverse engineer patterns uh, to better help them understand pattern movement and development as well as designing their own patterns. Um and then I think that's basically... What about the calendars? When are the calendars coming out? Oh, that is a good point. So um, there, are there have been a couple hiccups in getting the artwork for the calendars. And so something that my wife and I had talked about when we first started talking about doing the calendars uh, was to do a basically base it around a blade show year because uh, so many and there's so many shows now but Atlanta is still one of the biggest knife shows especially in the United States and so making it a May to May calendar so that people can kind of plan their year out and and organize themselves based around getting ready for the Atlanta Blade Show. It ends at the end of May, which is perfect because the next fucking week is Blade Show almost always. And then and and also the benefit of doing that right at, right before Blade Show is everybody's going to be getting their calendar just before the show and then they can bring their calendar with them and get some of the makers to sign their work or sign the calendar if they want to do that uh, and encourage people to get around and see the different makers that have been featured in the calendar. Um, but yeah, and, and so before for my Patreon, uh, people that were joined in December or, or members in December, were going to get one of the calendars. Uh, they're going to be getting another, a pattern welded, a signed pattern welded design, kind of like the way you do your watercolors, but I'm doing my pattern welded design printouts. And I'm, I'm, I'm really working this year to try to, a big goal for me is to get all these papers together and get them drawn out nicely and cleanly and with the potential of putting them together in some sort of book format. Um, probably not this year, but maybe next year or two. Nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's where Ooh. the calendars are at. So look guys. for them coming out in what well, I guess probably doing uh, pre-sales in March, April, May, June, April, April, probably April. April. All right. So we're going to, all right. Well, there you go. That clears a lot of things up. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, 
almost February. Where is this goddamn calendar? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know idea that it was May to May. Yeah, it's just, I don't, um, yeah, I there's you. just been some struggles with getting stuff, but all it's right. all right because we've, like I said, we've been talking about doing this May to May calendar for a while, and this is the uh, the opportunity to do it. So all right, there we're you doing go. it. Guys, this part of the podcast is sponsored by Combat Abrasives. For all your, slap your face a few times <laughs> with some belts. That's the, go to combatabrasives.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK15 for 15% off. I'm just kidding in regards to that. And uh, definitely get yourself some of that Combat Abrasives. And while you're at it, might as well get yourself some Indasi USA over at Texas Ferry Supply. Stuff is awesome. Nothing better than that. Nothing better than that rhino wet, baby. Oh, <laughs> Ain't yeah. nothing better than that. Hell go get yeah. You, Go get yourself some of that at TexasFairySupply.com. Put in the promo code KNIFETALK10 for all your red line and your anything they have in the anything they have over at uh, Texas Ferry Supply. 10% off when you use KNIFETALK10. Yeah, boy. Let's do some questions. What do you say? I, I got a question for you, actually, real quick shoot, about that shoot, Scott's baby, right. Whatever how, you want. How fast were you running it? And how old was, I was the belt? Running was it, it in an old belt? It was in a very old belt. I gotcha. But I did not see any creases, and I did not see anything that 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 sh- showed me that there was a problem. Sure. And I did not have the platen perched out. A lot of times that can be a problem because oh, sure. if the platen edge, the edges of the platen, are f- f- the friction point, yeah. then that could be a, a way. And uh, I was going at probably seventy five percent speed, and Here's I was using the- WD forty. Yeah, I got to You know what you should do. Go ahead. Which is something I always do. <laughs> when Get I, new scotch bright belts is really good. You know what you, you should do. Combatbrace.com, uh, I've talked for you. When I get a new platen or make a new platen, I always make sure to break that top corner. Uh, you can either do uh, it yes. at hard 45 or, or just like flow it in, round it out. But just that little bit of thing will help take some of that extra stress that might be occurring as the belt is riding around the machine and coming into contact with that. Uh, I even do it on my radius platens as well. That's a great idea because you don't really need the top part. No. The top edge. It's like the top eighth of an inch. It doesn't have to be a giant radius, just a little radius. That's a good one. That is a good you know what you should do, guys. That's an an actual you know what you should do. That's a you know what we should should bring Bullshit you know what you should do. (laughs) You know what you should do is we used to do, you know what we should, you know what you should do is really the question. It was not questions. It was basically when somebody would offer their couch quarterback suggestions. <laughs> yeah. It's always experts. couch quarter. Like I'll, I'll never forget. I had a customer who said to me, I don't mean to tell you what to do, but you know what you should do. <laughs> you should make more knives than you can sell them. I was like, you motherfucker. I mean, that's a, that's a brain. That's a genius thing to say right there. I never no thought of shit, that. Sherlock, you know, so <laughs> unbelievable. So you know what you should do is I will definitely do that. I will do that. <laughs> and the yeah i'll do that once you read the first question okay all right this first one is from benja benjamin angeloni says questions for question for you guys uh oh i apparently probably don't, me have struggled with saying his fucking name don't worry just keep <laughs> going first, says, first of all love the show uh even if you haven't gotten my name right uh yet lol it's Angel, like from the Bible, and Oni, as in macaroni. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm having a 
bitch of a time with sandmy billets splitting down the core during the quench. I'm using 1084 for the core steel and anchor chain for uh, from a U.S. Navy submarine as the cladding. As far as I can tell from working with the chain the re and researching it, uh, researching it's mild steel with extra chromium. The forge welds are sticking fine, but the core has cracked every time. I'm heat treating full thickness out of for out of a forge into Parks AAA quenching oil. Uh, I have tried. Wait, I have tried lower. Um. Oh, sorry. I've tried lower temps, but it still cracks. Sorry for writing, writing the Magna Carta. You're not sorry, Benjamin, because you fucking did it. So, anyways. Thank you, <laughs> dude. You were reading my mind. I was just like, when I, I, all right, listen. If you guys want to send us a message, go to uh, Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. And I say, don't send the Magna Carta. Means it's like you send us this. Like some, some of you guys, really, I feel as though you, there's too much side talk. Don't send me. Don't send us questions with a lot of side talk because the side talk is the chit chat. The side talk is what turns into the Magna Carta. Mm -hmm. So. But uh, I, this is a good question, and number two, number number one, number one, is we get people's names wrong. Period. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. We, I mean, we can't possibly know all everybody's names. My whole life, I, I've I've in, I've met maybe five people who've said my name correctly the very first time they met me. Oh, well, the very first time you can't expect him to say that. I had a, I was ordering food, and someone said to me, uh, "Joff." And I said, no, it's Jeff. She goes, well, no, that's not... A, she said, that's not the way it's spelled here. And I said, it's my name. is Jeff. Well, I've never seen it like that before. And she's arguing with me about my name. I'm like, my brother. I don't know what to tell you. I'm a madam. <laughs> madam, I don't know what to say. I mean, for fuck's sake. So... Well... <sighs> but here's the funny thing about, about names. And I'm not going to get political about it, but it is funny. Imagine how mad people get when their name is spelled incorrectly. Imagine that same person if you misgendered them. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If you misgendered someone, they're going to be triple mad. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I mean, imagine that same person. Being, what? I'm not madam. I'm, I'm mister. So no. just everybody relax. Take a breath. Take a breath. Benjamin. Okay. A Angeloni. 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 Probably said Angeloni. I would say Angeloni, Angeloni. too. Angeloni. Angeloni. It's Ange Angel Angeloni. Angeloni. Like macaroni. Love Angel macaroni. Okay. Here you go. So what do you, I mean, do you have any thoughts about what's going on? Well, I, I think that, I mean, I don't know about the, I would assume, number one is, I don't think, I mean, I when I when I quench, when, number one is when I quench 1084, I'm at 1475. Okay. Which is a lower than what a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people hit fourteen, fifteen hundred. I use and I use the um, the Laren Thomas book, Knife Engineering. All the recipes are in the back, and yeah. and the the ranges, all the ranges. It's not just an exact recipe, but the ranges. I've had the most. I've had the best experience with using his ranges, and I'm stuck on ten ten eighty four. And I'm quenching in Parks 50. I'm not. I'm not quenching 1084 in AAA. I'm right. using Parks 50. Yeah. So you're. 
I mean, it's, I don't know about San Mai. I would, th- I would think that if you have, I, I mean, I'm just assuming. I mean, I might be wrong. If if the original set is correct and your forge wall did is correct, then 1475 shouldn't separate your 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 shouldn't. I mean, it's it's below the the quenching temperature is below what the forge welding temperature is. Mm-hmm. So that number one. Number two is you your parks AAA might be cold. I would I would warm up that Parks 50 and then kind of use the the set range of the Parks 50. Yeah. You know, to like what room temperature to 120 degrees somewhere in there. Yeah. That's I mean, but at the same time I don't do I've done a couple pieces of sand mai and I have I do a lot. I do a lot of the Baker Forge steel, which I now I, I take it back. I do a lot of Baker Forge steel and that's all sand mai and complex things. And I've never had a problem with it and I'm always uh, I'm forging. I'm quenching at the core, the, where the core temperature is, and then I have room temperature, uh, Parks fifty. Mm-hmm. Um. So, from what I understand, I was actually just trying to do a quick search. I don't know if you heard me tip tapping over here on Knife Steel Nerds. I'm not seeing an article about Sanmai and cracking, and so I'm sure there's somebody out there with a lot more in depth information. Um. But from my experience, oh, actually, you know what? Motherfucker. I'm going to be Go talking ahead. to Greg Sims, who's like the Northeastern King of Sanmai of the United States of America. <laughs> and uh, he, I'm sure he's got some um, really good information. I'm, I'm going to be chatting him on actually on Monday on my Patreon. Um, but from Artisans of Steel. Artisans of Steel. Artisans of Steel podcast. Um, from what I understand is that um, materials... <sighs> That go through, or if the core, the transformational uh, transformation of the core material, meaning going from austenite to martensite, uh, is too much of a difference from the cladding, whatever the cladding is, um, that creates a lot of stress in the material, um, and and what makes like the Baker Forge steel work so great, as well as a lot of Damascus sand mines you see out there, is that. The core steel isn't much different from what's on the outside, on the cladding and the jacket. So when you go to heat treat it, everything is transforming at basically the same rate. Um, There are some stainless steels that people use as cladding that don't transform at all. So they're not moving at all. And... And so... And that also causes a lot of stress on steel, especially if people are using like... um, like a 300 series stainless for just a simple stainless clad sand my knife. Uh, a better choice would be uh, a simp- uh, like a 400 series, uh, like 410, 416, um, which I think have a tendency to be a little bit more expensive. Um, but they go through that transformation and there's less of that stress between the cladding of the, uh, on the outside and the core in the middle. And there's a lot more success with the material not experiencing zipper cracks essentially and when you you'll see them on online and it looks like somebody somehow magically split a blade right in the middle and it's just bowing out to one side or the other and a lot of that is because that cladding and the reason it kind of curves out is because that cladding has stayed it, it basically hasn't moved while the core as it's gone through the austenite to martensite transverse transformation um it's actually a, a slightly larger structure, and so it expands just the slightest bit in that martensite's form. 
But if the stuff around it isn't also expanding, again, that's that stress that's happening on that core material wanting to essentially rip it apart. And that's what you're getting with a lot of these zipper cracks. Um, again, I'm, I'm armchair expert, experting it right now as best as I can from conversations I've had with uh, makers who do a lot of sand mai. But that is my understanding. So if you're going to do a sand mai, um, tr either... Uh, okay, sorry, sorry. So, so if you're going to do something like this, uh, it, two very dissimilar types of core versus cladding combinations, then you want the process to be quicker. Um, say, take 52100 is a high carbon ball bearing steel. People are very familiar with it, but it's a slow trans slower transformation than something like the, actually like the Hitachi steel or other simpler uh, 10 series steels. Is is the fifty two one hundred transforms a lot slower um, at a higher temperature too at a higher temperature, but and and that also causes some some difficulties is in that transformation, and so what people will do is they'll actually they'll quench starting in like a brine or in water and then they'll finish in oil. Um, to there's something about that transformation happening quicker that helps relieve that stress in the material. Um, no. And so, so if I was going to do this 1084 and then whatever on the outside, I would do the Parks 50. I would, I would take it up to, you know, the top of the quenching range because that's going to help it go faster, um, and and quench it at yeah probably like 110, 120, um, out of the out of the heat treating kiln at 1475, you, like you were saying. Do you so what Benjamin says also is he's using chain, which is uh, mild steel with extra chromium, and he, yeah. he's quenching it at full thickness. Do you think the full thickness has a? I always think that when I'm quenching in oil in general, mm -hmm. it's for some reason I feel like it's better to take some material off so you're you're it's not as much of a thermal mass. I might be crazy, no. But like I, to I, me, I, it's like you have a smaller thermal mass, so that transformation from austenite to martensite probably is a little bit on the quicker side. It is, yeah. You're reducing the, th the thickness of the material, and therefore the thermal mass. So it's not that heat is going to dissipate much quicker, um, and especially along the edge where you're trying to get some good action, right? Right. Um, and that will benefit your edge material as well, um, and so. Yeah, I would I would say reducing some of that mass before hardening would also benefit you as well. Right. But we yeah. armchaired it. We armchaired it. it. I'm not mad. At, I'm not pro. mad at any of those answers. Like we're not, we're not, ben, we're with you. <laughs> we're with you, 100. percent The next one is anonymous. Anonymous. Hey, cuties. Apologize for lagging as a solid listener. I'm working, listening, and writing my thoughts as you asked. Influence versus inspiration. We were talking about the difference between people saying, sure. I'm inspired by, and the difference between influence and inspired. The influence versus inspired question was a great follow-up to the previous question, which I don't know which was. The value of experience is a quick fire uh, experience in the quick fire episode. If we keep it in knife talk, artisans like Mareko and Salem Straub are inspirational and are the spark that drives my desire to learn and develop my own pattern steel. Influence is the 35 years of experience, 35-year uh, career of handling knives that drive me to build the knives that I've been desiring in my own experience as a cook. Thanks for the knowledge drops, life questions, and overall, the most badass podcast to listen to. And remember, 
All right, kids, cover your ears. <laughs> Santa is your dad. So anonymous. There you go. <laughs> Wasn't really a question, but yeah, the influence versus inspiration is very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And the way we categorize ourselves and the way we pick and choose the the, the artistic direction we're taking, because ultimately it is creating a style is your artistic expression. It is tough to figure out how we find our design, find our style, and credit the people that you learn from without making it seem like you invented the wheel. Right. So. Yeah. Anything to add? No. You yeah. did it. There you go. <laughs> Why don't you hit the next one? All right, this next one's from Paul Jansen. He says, when you first got started, did you find your skill level was about... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The same for all the steps involved. Or were you inherently better at a certain aspect of knife making over another? Or even now, do you uh, do some parts come easier than others and others take longer and more work to do well? So do you understand what that means? I don't know. I think I butchered reading it. That's but okay. So the, the, so the question the, is, the, is the difference in like the different aspects of, you know, profiling the knife versus grinding the knife versus sculpting the handle versus all the different steps is what he's talking about right Aspects i think it was i think process. it was also like did your previous experience help you feel comfortable doing it because like, mm. it is interesting like i mean that's what i what i got out of it was you know before you started knife making did you have you know do would you work with your hands more or less or oh, how did you feel you. comfortable that's what i get out of it like you know, are you starting from ground zero, never picking up a drill? Because there's like Craig never worked with metal before in his life, before right. he started knife making. I mean, the same was true for me, honestly. Uh, the the closest I'd gotten to was doing uh, woodworking, um, and that involved drilling holes and using a bounce. The, like the only things that really translated across was drilling holes into stuff and cutting things on a bandsaw, which was cutting out the the handle scales like on the bandsaw safely and drilling holes accurately into the handle scales to then attach to the blade. But the, everything else was all new to me. Like, was it when you first started working with super duper hot steel, was that like, did you kind of, were you freaked out about it a little bit? Cause sure. that can be. Yeah. Especially I mean, you were like, how old were you when you, how old were you when you first started? I was, um, that's a good question. I was 20, 24. Mm. I was 24 in 2008. Uh, when I first started, and that was working for Bob Kramer, and and yeah, I started with the handle. I actually didn't do any hot steel stuff uh, until like the last year, like uh, two years later, working for Bob. Huh. Um, and it was mostly actually just forging billets. We didn't do any blade forging there. It was all stock removal. Um, and so I, you know, handling the hot steel 
and and the welding stuff was all very very new to me but i just said fuck it let's go for it <laughs> but just like i mean i know i mean when i first started i first started working with steel just steel as a welder fabricator you know learning as an art major yeah when i was 18 okay and it was a long learning curve of kind of being comfortable with sparks and comfortable mm-hmm. with a grinder and comfortable with like I, the interesting thing is when I read this art, when I read this question, I made, I started making knives like, I don't know, nine years ago, let's say 10 years ago. Okay. And, but I had a whole experience, you know, 20 years of experience plus 10 years of experience as a blacksmith. So I came in at arrogant as fuck. I already knew how to drill holes in steel. I've been drilling <laughs> holes in steel forever. I already knew how to, uh, I already knew how to, to, I already forged, so pick, I know how to work my work around tongs, I knew how to use a hammer. Like, the forging the knife was like, I was arrogant as fuck, I was like, I can fucking forge this knife. It was like, it really, <laughs> and when I talked to guys later, later down, when I started to know, when I started to meet um, Sunset Forge and Cliff and John and Cliff, and we were talking and stuff like that, and they're not, I mean, they're not traditionally knife makers, and, sure. you know, John and Cliff make knives, can make great knives. And I just remember when we first started, and it was five years ago, six years ago, and I turned to him and I'm like, have you ever, have you ever think that this forging steel, forging knives is hard? And he goes, no, I don't know what these guys are fucking talking about. I don't even know why you need your podcast, frankly, because it was so like, it was, you're just making a leaf. You know, you we forged, I forged a million leaves. I know how to draw out, you know, draw out a leaf. And it was just like, it wasn't. That it was, I was fortunate enough to have all this metalworking experience before I started making knives, so uh-huh. I understood how to how to drilling steel and deburring, and then the little things of like, you know, when you're drilling holes to take off weight, you want to deburr because you know the reason why we deburr holes wasn't for the look. I think a lot of knife makers deburr holes because of the look. You when you're on a fabrication job and you're making stuff for let's say I was in a shop and we would make stuff for union jobs to install. You had to when you drilled a hole, you had to deburr because you didn't want anyone to cut themselves. Right. And you also wanted a plate to fit on it flat. So deburring holes wasn't for or if you're countersinking for a screw. But deburring holes weren't, weren't wasn't like for looks. It was there was a reason behind it. So like for us for me, you know, I had all this experience as a fabricator and a metal worker. So yeah, I, I felt like I was, I got, I had enough experience behind me that, that made the steps a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Working with grinders, working with power equipment, you know, all this stuff. I felt like I had like a little bit more experience than someone who just decided to do it for the first time. Sure. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta give props to Bob when I first started working for him because he, he made me uh, kind of create an environment, um, uh, a safe environment for for me in a way to be able to make mistakes. And so I wasn't super anxious around things being new because uh, he was very understanding about the fact that it was new for me and that there would be a learning curve. And fortunately, uh, I think for both of us, it was for me a very fast learning curve. And... Um, and six months later, I'm like, I'm doing all the handleless. I'm doing all the, sorry, I'm doing all the blade profile. I'm doing all the primary grinding. I'm doing all the hole drilling, handle assembly, handle sculpting. Um, and then in the last year I did, and then I did that for the first couple of years. And then I was in the last year, I was doing all that stuff on top of, um, the Damascus making. And it was all, 
I, I just I, I have I have a tendency to pick things up very quickly, so I wasn't too anxious. Even though like yeah, throw all the spark throwing and all that shit was all new to me. Um, I was just like, all right, well, I'll figure it out. And, but there's yeah. a lot of things that like there's th- sometimes like if I'll have someone come in who's new, there's a lot of things that I take for granted that I already know that they just don't know. Sure. So there's like a lot of like little tiny things that you know working with metal you learn that you don't you take for granted that you that's just the way you you do it like yeah. how you cut with a grinder or how you do the I mean there's the people who have just picked up knife making from you know as a as a hobby have have for never you doing anything with metal before I fucking salute you because it's not easy it's not easy to learn how to use tongs what's the right tongs how to use the tongs right how do you deal with the steels really hot or how do you i had a um i I just quenched a knife that was long i didn't even realize this i didn't have as much oil in it as i would have i thought i didn't even think about it i quenched it and this fireball came up and i was just like that shouldn't happen people have to deal with that i I can't imagine ah i'll tell you a fucking story you want to hear a fucking crazy story when i was at the center for metal arts in the beginning i i had worked in steel but we had never i've worked as a fabricator and i worked as a welder but we'd never done any kind of heat treating anything like that so i was talking to someone and we had made some uh it was a hoffy class we made some mild steel chisels and then you know the classes come and go and i have these chisels and and, and we have some downtime and i'm like i'm gonna heat treat these chisels and i turn to someone and say how do you heat treat the chisels he's like oh you just get it hot and then you dump it in oil okay so I got a coffee cup, a coffee cup full of motor oil, Sweet. a coffee cup, a yeah. fucking paper coffee cup, a paper coffee cup. <laughs> oil. Oh my God. Paper coffee. I had no idea. Like, all right, this, this magic's going to happen. I didn't know. We didn't do any of that shit. We did the, right. you know. So I take this mild steel chisel. The, the, the shank is probably half an inch thick and it's probably like, I don't even have, a, I know it won't, it would stick out of the cup of oil. It would stick out of the coffee cup. Like, I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me. Like, you stick it in oil and what happened? Bring it outside, and I heat the steel up in the forge. I get it fucking red hot. <laughs> this, is, this is the dull nothing. This is fucking, all right, you get the fucking steel hot, and then you, 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 you drop it in the oil. Get the fucking mild steel chisel hot as shit, red hot. I put it in the oil. The whole fucking cup goes up in flames and there is black smoke coming out and i'm just like what the fuck i ignited the whole cup yeah and then i thought i gotta i'm out i'm out in the kind of you know in the back by like there's dirt and everything like that so nothing's burning down but all of a sudden i kick it over and now there's flaming oil (laughs) all over the place i mean like a coffee cup full so it's not yeah but there is black billowing smoke coming up and i'm like I, I can't put that out. I, I, you don't throw water on it. I'm trying to kick it off. I'm trying to put everything. And all I can think of is I'm going to fi- get fired. I'm going to get fired. The fire department's going to come. I'm going to get fired. And I finally put it out. Nobody knew. And I was just like, I'm never doing this shit again. That's hilarious. But it was old motor oil yeah. in a paper Dunkin' Donuts cup. <laughs> and I fucking dropped a giant piece of hot steel in it. This is like, all right, I'm tough, fucking hard now. God, I almost burned the joint down. So, there you go. So, I sh- salute you, all you guys who are learning how to do this on your own. You're not burning your, burning your garages down. Yeah, no shit. Uh, before we take on 
Uh, old Harry Gray. Let's say, give a big shout out to our friends over at Maritime Knife Supply. There's the one stop shop for knife makers. Steel belts, abrasives, handle materials, tools, forges, kilns, and more. They're the can- Canadian distributor of combat abrasives. They also have RhinoWet and all the RhinoWet products and anything you need if you're a knife maker. Go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Get yourself some of them. Get yourself a 10 pack of belts and you get uh, one free. And uh, they ship all over the United States and over Canada just as quickly as anybody else. And Lawrence Lake has done this great job. You know, he just got the scholarship for old, our old friend Cuddy. Joyce Cuddy's got that scholarship. He's very involved with the New England School of Metal Work. Go support MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. I just saw that you... they got three-quarter inch 1080 octagonal stock in. That's great for integrals. There's Look your leaf you. right there. There's your leaf right there. You, you, you don't get yourself a coffee cup full of oil. Fuck that. Don't You're do in business. That. No. A fucking coffee cup full of <laughs> Motorola. Oh, P.S. If I got to say that don't use coffee, you don't use old Motorola in a paper coffee cup to heat treat your chisels. <laughs> I've said it now. Don't, don't do that. I don't think I need to do that. I think y'all know. But yeah. I just, I just dropped a bunch of ducats, a bucket of ducats over at Maritime. I'm psyched. Cause yeah. I've been running short on belts lately, and uh, and then I got to the point where I was like, "Oh shit, I need to order belts." Because if I don't, I can't really get that far in the next project. Yeah, I got to get some belts from him too. Don't be yeah, here in the next couple days. <laughs> Once you hit uh, hit up old Harry Gray. All right, old Harry Gray says, "Good day, knife talk. Uh, would any of you guys be able to offer any tips on cutting the scales? Uh, for on sorry on cutting scales." Uh, for a precise fit on a full tang knife, uh, specifically where the scale meets the guard with a tapered tang. My methods are slow and the fit I'm getting not as good as I'd like. I, I want a 100% perfect fit line that with no visible glue. Uh, I, I've been using the adjustable work rest on my Revolution 2x72, but getting it spot on is hard. Thanks, Jenna. Uh, Talia. Jesus, sorry about that. Genitalia. He's he fucked with you. Oh, (laughs) Genitalia. Or I like Genitalia too. (laughs) He got you. He got you, bitch. That was that's the new thing on Peloton. Is people are changing their names so when they get the shout out, they're trying to sucker the all the instructors. (laughs) It's the best. It's so funny. Dicks inside her box. Then they had you know, all this hilarious. So he got you with genitalia. Genitalia. So, so the taper t- the taper tang is tricky. The taper tang. I'm assuming it's tape. All right. So we're doing just taper tang uh, meets the guard. All right. So <laughs> it has to meet the guard. So it's almost it's like um, taper tang with a guard. I did. A taper tang once with an old Sabatier. It was a integral bolster chef knife with a taper tang, and I fucked it up the first one <laughs> because and and a lot of it was because I just it would I drilled the hole and then all of a sudden when I fit it together it slipped it it slipped. Uh, so what I yeah. saw I don't think I think that this is I mean my opinion if I were to do it again when I do it again with it, especially with the taper tang. Number one, I'd open up the holes in that taper tang a little bit. Okay. Number two, I would do one side fit. I would, I would, I would get it to fit one, and then I would do a little glue joint, and then drill that side. Then I would fit the other one, 
and then I would drill through that. Do you know what I mean? When I put the the glue down on the between the scales and the tang, yeah, I would do. I would make it fit a hundred percent. Then a couple dabs of glue to drill, but I wouldn't oh, drill. Oh, just to glue, like to glue tack it. Glue tack it to just, just like one bit of side of the glue. scales. Yeah, I wouldn't do both sides. I wouldn't do both scales at the same time. I would do one scale. I would make sure it fits 100% right. Ain't gonna, I mean, no matter what grinder you're using, you gotta, there's finesse involved. Right. And you don't know if your adjustable grinder's right. You don't know if the, 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 if, if it's square, you, you gotta kind of finesse it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then glue tack it, flip it over, use the holes in the, in the tank to drill through. Then it would fit the other one, glue tack that, and then run it through from the first side. That makes sense? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else. I don't. I hate tapered tanks, frankly. I hate them. I hate working with them. Don't like them at all. I mean, like I was saying, when I worked for Bob, that's what I did for like three years. So what um, did you do? How did you get that perfect tank? I mean, the reality Fit. is it's it's never going to be perfectly perfect, but you can get it pretty fucking close. Um, and I think I think I just <laughs> what? Well, well I'll, I'll step back. One one potential issue. With the two by seventy-two inch, it is is that it is hard to get things perfectly flat on a belt sander. Right. Um, that's where the disc sander comes in, or that's where a flat surface with sandpaper adhered to it comes in. Uh, and that honestly would be my move. Would be to get it close, sure, on the machine, uh, or get it, you know, or at least start out with a flat, and then, t- for me personally. Uh, a disc sander removes, especially if it's like a fresh 20, 220, it's going to remove material really fucking quick. You, you, off of 90, especially on a tapered tang, you're go, you're, if you're going from, say, 3 sixteenths of an inch at the thickest where that bottom of the bolster is, which would be kind of a thick tang, down to a sixteenth of an inch, that's fucking maybe one degree of a difference. You don't need to really remove that much material. And so, and so, uh, I would just go to sandpaper on a piece of marble on a flat surface, whatever you got. Um, and I would just flatten it just a couple drags, check it, drag it, check it until it fits nice and tight in there. And then I used to use vice grips and get that fucker, uh, just right fit. Perfect. Right up against the guard. I would clamp with the vice grips, um, that one scale to the tang and then i would mark out the parameter the perimeter of the the tang or sorry of the tang onto the scale uh so i can once i take the the thing off i can cut cut away the excess uh but then i would because i already had holes drilled in the tang of the knife i would just use the tang of the knife as the template and i would just drill the holes straight through um through through the tank or the holes in the tank through the scale and then i would flip it over to the other side uh i would at this point i, I don't need it attached to the tank anymore because the hole is there and then i would cut in the shoulder because i was using corby bolts now if you're not using corby bolts if you're using straight pins then you're you're set at that point but um i was using corby bolts so then you flip it over recess the corby bolts and then you repeat that process for the other side but you really shouldn't have to remove that much material um to get it to fit right into the uh into the bolsters now if you're doing dovetail bolsters that is a whole nother game 
What's a dovetail bolster? Dovetail means that the bolsters are at an angle, either one way or the other. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. Um, but they're at an angle instead of being perfectly 90, 90 or almost 90 degree, right? To the, to the tang. They're right. at an, like maybe a the, whatever, 45, 30 degree angle, either direction. And at that point, that's when you want to use uh, a disc, a, a disc, a disc <laughs> sander. Whatever you want. <laughs> different strokes you know uh disc Obviously. sander and and uh and, and uh angle uh like a tool rest uh to make sure you are getting both pieces at the same angle um it, essentially the same way you would do if you're going to do a multi-piece uh handle scale fit up um you would do the same thing you just make sure everything's cut at the same angle so that they butt up at the same angle and come together really nicely uh our, our buddy bellette blades uh, over in the Philippines, it's fucking dynamite at this, at that fit up. If you don't follow him, go check him out. Uh, how do you spell it? B-A-L? Balete Blades. B-A-L-E-T-E, I think. He's okay. a monster. He's a beast. He's, a, he's, a, he's doing he's fucking a phenomenal work. With minimal tools, too. Yes. He's a monster. Yeah, you're right. It's B-A-L-E-T-E Blades. Sean yeah. Alonzo. Sean Alonzo, yeah. He's a man. He's a badass. Yeah. Yeah, so. he's, he, he's a, he's, he's, He's 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 pretty extraordinary. The 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 tapered tanks, yeah. I mean, tapered tanks are tough. You know what? You know what the weird thing is? Is I think that I think that people also think that disc sanders are going to give you exactly flat. If you think about how a disc sander is, you're getting you're getting more rotation in the middle than you are on the outside. So you're getting more grit. You you you're you're spinning a little bit faster the grit in the middle of the disc than you are on the outside. So you got to be careful how you're holding it because a lot of times with the disc sander, if you're not moving it around on the disc, you'll end up with like a flail. You know, like one corner will be cut in a little bit. So it's not exactly flat. I know that I know that Dennis Terrell is making an attachment, which is pretty cool that you can hold your scales. And use a surface grinder attachment. Have you seen uh, that? Uh, no. So it's like a little box with okay. set screws, and it'll okay. hold your wood, and you can surface use it, and it'll hold your wood so you can use it on your surface grinder, and then you can get, you know, look, when you have a surface grinder, then you can get a little bit flatter than a disc sander. You know, you get a little bit more accurate. Yeah. So, um, well, with that said, you know, where you can get a, a surface grinder is Broadback Ironworks. Makers of the 2x72 grinder. This is a dynamite grinder. These are our friends. Uh, happy birthday, Ryan. It was just Ryan's birthday. Ryan and, oh, and, nice. and Vince and, and Ben and all that, all those guys. They're, they're making these great, they're knife makers. They're all knife makers and they're making grinders for knife makers, woodworkers, sculptors, all, all of them. They have packages. They have t- great kits. They have the adjustable work rest, which is dynamite. They have the surface grinder, which is awesome. And if you go to broadbackironworks.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK10, you're going to get 10% off everything. So definitely check out that. But what Dennis has done, and I think I've seen a few other people do it, is it's almost like a little block. And they're set screws on the top and the bottom, and then it basically pins the wood in, and mm. then it holds to wherever your surface grinder is. Great yeah. way to make flat scales, that's for sure. That. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's just it's just the pin. I mean, imagine a box. Imagine a soap. Imagine a soap dish, and then the wood fits in the soap dish. Now, on the sides oh, okay. of the soap dish, 
there's some set screws that kind of hold that pin the wood in kind of like uh you know if you have a christmas tree and you have a christmas tree stand yeah the old, you have four the old pins the four pins yeah yeah you have the four pins and the four pins kind of it's the worst design ever i mean you ever <laughs> you can do one too much and then the other one too little and then the other one the third one don't touch and the fourth one don't touch that's the same thing as what they're doing so they're using those four pins and it's kind of holding the wood together does I that make you. sense yeah right. i got i guess you now yeah i Dude, always just uh, i always just hit that what's going to be against the tang I, w- I would always just hit that flat on the flat and then and then eyeball 90 and then adjust on a flat piece of or a flat surface with sandpaper uh and then whatever that i didn't i didn't need the handle material to be per parallel thickness and go back and forth go back and forth when you're pulling that's the other thing a lot of people do that's a mistake is they're going back and forth on the you should do f- pulls you, you blow. Oh, it's like yeah. if your hands in, only one direction you, yeah one direction and then you lift it up and do it again because if you go back and forth you can put you end up putting pressure on the ends and you don't get it flat you know what the trickiest the trickiest one is is when your bolster is has radiuses and your scales have to be radiused yes that's tricky i did that once for or maybe a couple times for integral tang integral uh, tang right yeah from the integral bolster down into the tent. Yeah, that is very tricky. But in the last but not least in regards to this, and we've hit this one very, very well. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think your move is to is to get a precision fit on the outside of the scales. You're looking for precision fit on the inside of the scales and then carve it down. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a if you're worried if it's a, a Damascus yeah you want to try to it's it's a lot of fiddling fiddling back and forth sure our friend uh kurt hallen does that kind of stuff where it's you know painstaking decisions and there's not (laughs) one correct answer you're going back and you're forth and you're fitting and then you're you know hitting it with the thing charlie lionheart too so genitalia good luck my brother (laughs) maniac or sister harry gray's a maniac or genitalia is no charlie charlie and fucking kurt Especially Charlie. Charlie's a maniac when it comes to how he's getting everything fit up. Whew. Yeah, yeah. He's they're all they're, those so guys are all like a different that. level. They, they they also like toil. I think I think <laughs> all those guys. I think a certain and you're in that toil part too. Some of you guys love toil. Like I think you like it. You know, maybe you don't say you like it, but you kind of like it. Charlie, what Charlie does with those intricate fucking things that he does. He's he's all toil. And it yeah. should be Charlie Lionheart should be his name. It should be Toil Lionheart. <laughs> you know, because it's like he loves it. Loves loves toil. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from our friend JD Eiler. Starts out with I have a boring question. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks JD. All right, Jesus skip it. Christ. Next question. Next question. Oh, she would do that to him again. We did that once to him before. I can't do it to him twice. I'd love to though. I have a boring question. Y'all talk to and P.S. guys, if you're gonna send us a question, why don't you try to upsell it? And you know, some of your questions could be fake. They don't have to be based on reality. We're not. We're not gonna fact check you. You know, just 
You know, they don't have to, you know, give us, give us a good question to ask. Talk about y'all talked about insurance last episode. And I'm curious if it's worth trying to get, I work alone in an insulated all metal building. So my concerns aren't what can I do to the building, but what can mother nature do to my building? I've Mm -hmm. called insurance companies for roof and theft insurance. And as soon as they find out it's a workshop, I never get any calls back. Should I keep trying to get some coverage or should I buy good locks and pray for fair weather? Cheers. Hmm. It's not a boring question. It's a grown-up question. <laughs> you know, and insurance is fucking brutal because you don't want it until you need it. You know, nobody right. wants to pay those insurance bills, but when you have it and you're really in a position where you need it, you're grateful to have it. For sure. Uh, I'd be curious if his shop is at his at, at his house where he lives. On his property and if that's the case then he might be able to add um his machinery his tools and equipment uh to his whatever insurance he already has for his first homeowner's insurance yeah homeowner's insurance and Kate, because even though this structure is made out of fire or sorry out of metal <laughs> equipment can catch fire for sure and so, or get burned out, or maybe there's an electrical sur- surge and the electrical circuitry and gr- your, your whatever grinders fucked, you know, all that stuff can't, it should be able to be covered in some way. Um, if it's not at your property, I, you just got to keep shopping. I think, um, this it's business not gonna be is cheap. Yeah. The insurance is business. They're not, they don't want to help you, you know? Right. So they're also you might be and you you especially jd you might be you in in their minds when they meet you they might <laughs> look at you and be like i ain't sure in this fucking guy <laughs> there ain't no way this fucking kid look he looks like i mean he looks like a he, i mean it i ain't insuring this i don't insure this guy at all <laughs> just kidding obviously i couldn't get my space without insurance my my landlord would not let me in unless I had insurance. And actually, just got a call a couple of weeks ago, and they were redoing their the building's insurance policy. And they were like, "Oh, we haven't asked you for insurance in a while. It's been a couple of years. We need your insurance." And I called up Tony, and we faxed over our, our insurance. And we yeah. have we are insured. At, we pay insurance for the building, and there's a amount that if something something were to happen, God forbid, our insurance company would prov- would cover it. Um, I don't know a lot of other, I mean, I would assume that most people renting shops for, you know, would probably have the same thing. I can't imagine just a landlord, unless it's like a friend who would, would not want you to have provide some type of insurance, but it's, it's hard. As soon as they find out you're a knife maker, they think you're like juggling knives. They think that you're (laughs) like, you know, you're like Hawkeye and you're like, yeah, you're like you're like shooting arrows all over the place, and you're yeah. They think you're crazy. They don't realize that it's not the case. Well, in your case, JD, it might be the case. <laughs> but um, you, I, my opinion is, especially if you have a nice place, you don't you don't want insurance until you need insurance, and then when you need insurance, you better have it. Yeah. So it sucks. That's an adult question, and that's an adult answer. Yeah. If I, I mean, I would say. I, I looked at his Instagram, and it's hard to say if I don't know if knife making is his full time gig or what. Um, but if he can roll it into, like, say, say you're a, a farmer or something, or you you do you have some large equipment 
business and you do like landscaping and shit like that, roll the equipment, your knife making equipment under the umbrella of the other business or, or you, or that their tools used for maintaining the, the property or, or yeah, whatever. And then your knife making just happens to be something you can do with the equipment that you already have. Um, but yeah, we, yeah. Insurance is tricky, and getting people to insure you is really tricky. I think. Ooh, bless you. <laughs> Sorry, I fucking hit the. Bu- <laughs> I, hit the I, ju- I tried hitting the button. I had to sneeze. I'm like, You're good. hit the button, hit the button, hit the button, and I'm like reaching over <laughs> trying to find the button, and it was like, yeah, I, I got nothing. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, make it. you don't want to be. You you, you don't want to lie, but uh, at the same time, you 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 try. You got to figure out a way to make it sound as little dangerous as possible yeah (laughs) yeah don't you don't some of you guys you know from our experience uh insurance companies don't like the word hunting knives (laughs) they also don't like they're not crazy about bushcraft either so uh you have to figure out ways in which to culinary tools you gotta figure it out so it's it works but i mean look this is part of growing up you gotta get in regards to mother nature that's your bigger that's your bigger concern right like if you're in a place where there's a lot of tornadoes and there's a lot of problems like that they probably aren't too worried about you being a knife maker. They're probably worried about if you're on like some sort of like tornado highway. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, so there you go. We asked that question. All right, guys, listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I just finished a knife with Damasteel and I love it. I love this Damasteel. Um, it's pattern welded stainless steel. This is going to be the future. This is going to be the future of knife making pattern welded stainless steel. People like the Damascus. But maybe they want a little stainless. This is the stuff for you. Go to damasteel.se. And if you use the promo code uh, Knife Talk, you're going to get 10% off all of your Damasteel. If you don't believe me, go to Instagram. Go to damasteelab uh, on Instagram, and you can see all their beautiful steels. I love the Thor pattern. I've used it. It's very easy to, if you can heat treat um, AEBL. It's almost identical to Damasteel. So it's easy to use. People love it. And definitely get yourself some of that Damasteel. Damasteel.se. 10% off with the promo code Knife Talk. All right. What do you want to do? You want to do a little, well, the next one? Or yeah, you want some we feedback or whatever you want? Well, We have red flags, gonna... too. If you old, so you want to go old school, we have red flags. Whatever you want to do. I think we could uh, save the red flags for next week. Or... Sure. Yeah, let's see. Oh, let's... here's a. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You want to do thirsty work? Yeah, let's do thirsty work industries. Go ahead. Uh, question for the forging guru. Uh, this this one's for Craig. Uh, I think, and, and it says, I think we all know Craig is the the closet forger. Uh, let's say you forge a knife nearly to final profile. After quenching, there is, uh, there is the expected warping. How do you deal with it and how quickly? Interesting. Warping so, warping yeah, is a is is a unreally people don't really talk about why knives or why steel warps or why steel warps in general. So I think we can spend a little time on just why does it happen and then how do we prevent it? I mean, I think one of the biggest issues, and I think actually uh Laren gets into it in knife engineering. Um Maybe a little bit, or at least some of the articles on knife steel nerds. But he, um, the, the often the the warping is from differences from either side of the blade. And if you're forging the knife, uh, and you're not doing any grind, if you're 
heat treating it as forged, that's going to be there. Like all those little indentations and differences are going to be there on the surface of that knife. Um, ideally, uh, if you, if you're, or not ideally, but if, especially if you're stock removing, um, or you're doing any grinding after forging, um, I guess what would be ideal is that they're perfectly symmetrical and that will help with, um, keeping things straight, but if they're not perfectly symmetrical down the cross-sectional center of the knife, um, if there's some slight um, variances in, essentially like we were talking about earlier about thermal mass playing a role in things, um, if it's a little bit heavier on one side or the other, that is gonna affect how that part of the knife um, cools down in comparison to either the rest of the knife or the other half of the knife. Um, so keeping everything really clean and even as, as best as possible will help to uh, alleviate those warping issues. And then but there, yeah, go there ahead. are other warping issues. Okay. There are other reasons. Yeah, let's hear it. Like, I mean, the, some of the reasons that I remember, before I ever got involved with knife making, I remember I was working on elevator railings for this metal shop. Mm -hmm. And we would put uh, tubing, uh, rectangular stainless steel tubing, on a, to a stroke sander, which is like a giant two by seventy two grinder, but and you're hitting the slack belt and you're using a block to push down the um, the belt onto the onto the work surface onto the piece of work that you're working on. And what happened was the the top would get hot and then the bottom would stay cold. And as the top was getting hot, it would warp. And mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. And I told my boss, my boss says, just turn it around, do the other side. And I turn it around, do the other side, and then they would pull the warp right out. So there's the heat in steel in general, the heat and ex the uh, contraction and, and expansion of, of steel is a thing. When you're welding, if you weld something up, you don't clamp it down. As the weld cools, it contracts, and then that pulls all your shit out of, out of square. Like you can't, you have to weld, when you're welding stuff, you got to clamp the shit out of it. Otherwise, you have to compensate for the fact that that weld is going to cool down and it's going to shrink. Mm -hmm. Warping in steel is not just for knife making. I mean, it's for everything. So you have to kind of, there's different ways you can go about it. Now, um, beside, I mean, I was talking to Brian House because he just sent me these for his rapid quench plate system, which is really great. And I was talking to him and I said, well, there's more to it than just plate quenching. You can still have warped knives with plate quenching. The difference between plate quenching a piece of eighth inch steel and a piece of 16th inch steel is a lot. You can have a, a piece of 16th inch steel and even if you put it in your bag straight and you put it and you quench it straight, it can still have the the uh, tension of from the steel. It's the original tension from the steel itself, even if it's full thickness. Like you, if you ever get a steel plate, any kind of steel plate, if it's thin, like maybe just say eighth of an inch, and then you cut something out of the middle, when you cut it out of the middle and it drops, it'll be curved anyway because maybe there might be tension in the steel originally that you have, to, you have to kind of deal with. So there's a lot of different reasons why things warp, and a lot of it is not just in the knife making itself. There's just things, you put it on a steel plate, and maybe you don't put the top plate on fast enough, and then it heat sinks it heat sinks right out of the chute on the bottom because the heat was drawn out before you had the chance to put the top on. There's a million reasons why things can warp, and it's the question is, is what is the best ways to fix those? Sure. What do you got? 
Well, there's two. I mean, there's the, you can, uh, shim tempering is the safest. Shim tempering is, without question, there's nothing safer than shim tempering, which is, let's say you quench your knife and then it's got a warp and then you don't, you don't uh, know what to do. You get a bar of steel, you find out where your, where your warp is. You stick a penny in there, or I usually use razor blades and then I stack them together. And then you get tiny clamps, clamp it to to overcompensate for where the warp is and then you temper with the clamps clamp to the bar right out all together and then when the tempering is done you let them cool in the clamps get to room temperature in the clamps clamped up and you'll that you'll be shocked at how well it takes your warps out right what why don't you tell one um so as he's describing here is uh, he's forged it really close to basically finished dimension and he's heat treating it as forged. I'm I'm assuming he's heat treating it as forged based on the way he wrote it. And so, and which is often what I, I have a tendency to do. Um, So one way immediately after quenching the blade before it's gotten below 500 degrees, uh, but after it's had at least a solid, maybe, you know, what five to 10 seconds, of quenching is to pull it out while it's still hot. Um, wipe the excess oil off um, because you don't want to get that all over your gloves because then that heat will transfer through your gloves to your hands a lot quicker because it's still fucking hot. And um, eyeball the knife down the spine, down the edge, from from handle to tip and from tip to handle on both in both orientations, spine and, and belly, and just make small adjustments. You can make s- gentle, small adjustments. It doesn't, uh, uh you don't want it, It's, let's see, it's still in the austenitic form until it hits about that 475, 450 degree range where it starts to transform into martensite. And this is, uh, in regards to, carbon steel, um, simple car or most carbon steel, simple carbon steels. Um, and so you can make, do some corrective warping. If in that initial quench, you notice that there's warping, then you can kind of adjust it by hand. Um, but then say after you finish the quenching, so I, I typically would then put it back in the oil to finish quenching it and take it down to 400 degrees, let it transform. Um, and then put it through uh, at least one temper cycle before I start messing with trying to straighten it. Uh, because if you try to do anything, make any adjustments right after initial hardening, the chances of you, um, busting the blade, which I have 100% done, uh, are higher because that, that blade is completely fully hardened, uh, and extremely brittle. Um, and, and so you want to at least put it through one temper cycle so that you can then start messing, working with the shim tempering or something like that. Um, I, I, what do I do? I will knock off. I'll probably, I usually typically do all of my tempering, which is two rounds, a couple hours each, uh, at 375. And, um, I will, then I'll start the grinding and ideally it's pretty straight so that can at least take the forge scale off. If it's too messed up before I can even take the forge scale off, then I'll probably wire wheel it just so I can see the steel. And then I'll actually, I do a, um, what do I do? I, I use a torch and I go back and, and put paint a little bit of heat back into the spine in the upper part of the blade. That's never going to become part of the edge unless you just like absolutely blast through the chef's knife. Right. Um, so that, um, I can then make some minor adjustments, 
Uh, and I usually, honestly, it's, it feels really sketchy, but I've done it so many times that I'm very comfortable with it. Um, but either in the jaws of a vice, or maybe I'll open the, the forging dies in my press up just maybe like three sixteenths or a quarter of an inch. And I'll use that little gap and I'll pry the blade up or down, depending on what the direction it needs to go. Um, while that heat and put on the heat on the spine. Yeah. And actually, if you're pulling it, say you're pulling it out, you're doing the tempering while you're at the shop um, and you've, it's had its two hours. You pull the knife out to let it come down the room temperature, but you're looking at it and you see that warp. Maybe you already have either your vices or the jaw of your vice ready or the jaws or the forging press dies ready. And you can make those adjustments with the heat that's already there in the blade. Um, and then I would put it in for another tempering cycle i'd look at it again if it needs adjustment i would probably adjust it again then i would start grinding the knife and even in the grinding once you start working through the decarb unless you are coming out of an oxygen free environment of some sort you're going to have some level of decarb in your knife and especially if you've heat treated as forged you're going to have a lot of decarb and forge scale to get through you want to grind as evenly as possible from side to side because if you do all the grinding to clean things off on one side and then you look at the knife it's gonna be pulled off to the other side in a gnarly direction and in a gnarly way and you're gonna be like oh my god and again this is from my own experience is i did that and i was like holy shit this knife is so fucking warped i don't know what happened maybe i ground it too hot or whatever that wasn't it um what it was is the getting through the decarb and so but what i did because I didn't know that is I straightened the knife out. I got the knife nice and straight. I was like, great. All right. Looks, everything looks great again. And then I ground the other side of the knife and the exact same fucking thing happened the other direction. And then I had to straighten it again. So work evenly from side to side as you're getting through that decarb. And once you feel confident, you've gotten through the decarb, then you want to start kind of looking at the straightness and deciding where you want to make adjustments from there. Um, the little hammers from, from uh, Corin um over our boy down in australia those nyrock hammers for straightening hammers are the carb what is it tungsten carbide right yeah those things are awesome those are great for straightening as well um and that is you gotta be careful yeah be careful you don't want to do it on a finished knife yeah yeah you you want wherever you you want to work it out before you're done with your grinding wherever you hit you want to be able to take that out because they'll make little marks and our friend kyle daly also sells them in the united states all right i think that's it i mean i think we did it that's it i think we did it before we go to the after show i just want to tell everybody if you're if you're in the mood to learn about cad and you don't want to spend the time and energy to do it go to knifeprint.com um, if you've ever been intimidated by CAD and you want your, to get your knives water jet cut or go to knifeprint.com for you, no downloading software, software or licensing agreements. It's a great entry point and simply to simply and easily design knives with their software designed for knife makers. So you hit the render button and it just, it just shoots out your fucking porthole. All your, it goes right out, <laughs> right out your disk drive. goes out your disk drive because it comes right out of your USB port. Um, then you put, and then obviously they send it to you. I think <laughs> uh, it's a great website, easy to learn, uh, and a great service. And go to knifeprint.com. And our friend Dennis Terrell uh, did a masterclass on how to use it. So knifeprint.com is awesome. Our, a lot of our friends have been using it and been getting great results. I'm with you. I think we did it. Should we head over to the after show? Yeah. 
Guys, we're gonna we're gonna have. Don't do the noise yet. Oh, don't sorry. do the noise. I gotta, yet. I gotta jump on. You're gonna hold the noise. Hold the noise. Craig is gonna be back next week, hopefully without any pig swill, without any <sighs> garbage, without any flaming tires. <laughs> He'll have all sorts of stories for us, and we will see you next week on Knife Talk. Do you remember that from Wayne's World? Yeah, I do remember that from Wayne's World. <laughs> Actually, funny enough, I'm uh. The Knicks are, do, are doing so well. A friend of mine and I are like, every game, we have a game, there's a game tonight. They're doing amazing. They're great. I mean, it's fun to watch. It's really reigniting New York sports because it's, it's, everyone's waiting for baseball to happen. And New, York, New York football teams suck. <laughs> so my friend, my friend from high school uh, got tickets. We're going to go this Tuesday. We're going to go see them play the Utah Jazz and Madison Square Garden. I'm excited. And he told me, he said, do you remember when we went to Wayne's World together? That's how old I am. I went to see the original Wayne's World with my high school friend. Yeah. And when you said that, I was just like, "My Eric just mentioned, he's like, remember when we went to go see, I think he and I were, I don't know when we were drunk or stoned or when we went in there, but we saw it in first run uh, Wayne's World and uh, I'm going to go see him now. So it was great. Uh, that was weird to jog my memory on that. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I grew up watching that when i was I, I probably shouldn't have been watching it when i was a kid but the reality is like when i was a kid and i first saw it which was probably the same time you were seeing it i, I uh let's see actually i it was when it was i was like, in high school it was when it, it was like a year later though when it came out on dvd or not dvd vhs right uh you had to wait a year <laughs> or Wayne's sometimes World, a year i like Wayne's world i actually good. i think i even had one of those hats i yeah. feel like i had one yeah Wayne's World. so what are you doing this weekend What's going on this weekend? Uh, uh, the wife's working, so I got the kid, uh, and I think we're just gonna be kind of rampaging around. We we got up into the woods actually last weekend, which is really beautiful, because it was foggy as fuck <laughs> and overcast down down in the lowlands where everybody lives, and so we got up into the mountains where I usually take him like for chanterelle picking and stuff. And there was still some snow up there. We didn't really get a lot of snow this year, and so he didn't really get to play in the snow. Uh, we got like maybe a quarter inch down where we were at. And so we got up there and there was snow still up there and we were throwing snowballs and stuff and we had a blast. But the beautiful views of the of the sunrise and, and the mountains around us and it was really cool. So I'll probably go do that. There's a local arcade that's really cool. Uh, go play some skee ball and maybe some bumper pool and Mario Kart and shit like that. He's just get, really fun. getting into video games and pinball and then... Yeah, I don't know what else going. Oh, actually, I'm going down. My uh, my wife's grandparents are turning 93. Oh my god! And so she's she's got to be she's got to work on Saturday. But we're I'm taking a kid down. We're gonna go down and visit and hang out with them. They're really great people. Um, and I'm fortunate. My wife's side of the family are all really great people. It's good to hang out with them and see them. And so uh, we're gonna hang out with them for the afternoon. Nice. They're doing like a pizza party. And, that'll uh, be fun yeah it'll be fine at their house and um yeah just kind of hang out that'll we have this is uh the fader knives christmas party weekend so we're going on saturday we're going to new york for we're going to nam we had to make a couple changes for some scheduling but uh az and david and tony and i are gonna all go down to nam and eat some dim sum we're very excited we've been talking everyone's been talking well, what are you gonna get what are you gonna get what are you gonna get I said, get whatever the fuck you want yeah Nice. So that'll be fun. And then um, yeah, our daughter went back to college, so it's like right. we're just kind of 
we're all kind of after a long trip, it would, we're kind of like all kind of preparing. Okay. Just like kind of getting back to it. So Yeah. I just started watching The Bear. What did you think? I have only seen a couple episodes. Are you in the first season? Yeah. I was talking to Tony about it because Tony was a professional chef. My business right. partner was like one of the best in New York. And he said, did you see this? Did you see uh, The Bear? And I saw, I saw the first season and I just, it was enough for me. I didn't really <laughs> need to see the second season. Right. And he goes, what's all this yes chef? I'm sick of all these people saying yes chef all the time. They don't fucking talk to me that way. And I was one of the best restaurants in New York. It's <laughs> like, ah, fuck those people. He's like, you, you hear all these people say yes chef all the time. They're all full of shit. So, yeah. Maybe it's different times. Because that was like times. 20 years ago, right? He was a sh- professional chef like less than 15 years ago. But I, I think it was, I mean, some places like that shit. Some places don't, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I watched the first episode. It gave me, I mean, it wouldn't say it gave me, like, I mean, it was really close to being what it was like. But then at the same time, it's like I need a second season of the same fucking thing. No. You know, so I'm just like, <laughs> I don't really need that. So I'm going to watch football on Sunday. There's two big football games. I'm going to watch that. I got a Knicks game tonight. I'm going to get a Knicks game on Saturday. I'm going to go to Madison Square Garden to see the Knicks on Tuesday. Jeez. I'm all mixed out, man. I love them. So much fun. <laughs> Sports is so much fun because there's no, because you're part of something. When you're watching it live, you're part of something. So like, I'm totally, I'm all in and they're, they're really, really, they're in a winning season. They're doing really well. They're, I think they're, as of right today, they're in fifth place, but they're going to play the Nuggets, which are the champions from last year. So I'm not, not optimistic, okay. but it's, you know, Hillary and I watch sports. Very excited for baseball season to start. Yeah. That's nice. There you go. Yeah. Some after show, big deal. We didn't talk about <laughs> we didn't talk about pussy candy and all that stuff. Like so that. that's the way it is. That's what you get Bro. next week. Next week, Craig, Craig, if you're listening to this part, next week you have to talk more about different flavors of candy that you have from body parts. That's for that's your that's your homework assignment. I think we've done enough. I think we've we done it. enough. It was great to talk to you. Great to yeah, see you. Too. We will see you guys next week. See you guys on the next episode of Knife Talk. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.